You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Genesis, specifically through this one man's journey, Jacob. We've been looking at his life, but we've also been looking at his family members and people he encounters. And we're, the idea behind this whole series, the kind of the underlying theme is the uh, understanding of the Jacob's struggle for wholeness. That he's a broken man. And I don't know if any of you can identify with being broken, but he is looking to be whole. And as we see this process of wholeness, one thing I hope really that you're catching throughout every sermon is this idea how God is touching area, every area of Jacob's life. Whether Jacob is aware of it or not, whether it's a high or whether it's a low, how God is present and at work. And that in the ups and, ja- ups and downs, Jacob is seeing more and more how God is truly with him. And obviously, that's my hope for you as well, that wherever you are at, in your journey, whether you are at like spiritually like just flying, or maybe you are like a bug on the ground crawling, or maybe you're just on your back, you're like, okay, I give up. Wherever you're at, that you would know this God who promises to be with you and that he's at work. So today, as we continue that theme, we're going to be looking at this idea of prosperity, and even that word prosperity, when you attach to churches, it's kind of a funny theme because uh, oftentimes if you, if you got insomnia one night and you turn your TV on, it's like 2 in the morning. If you go to certain channels, you'll hear a lot of prosperity. Like find your money, donate it, and God will prosper you with different things. Um, that's not so much what we're talking about here. Though we do believe God is the giver of good gifts. But we want to look at today how God is with Jacob in a season where he is going to experience some prosperity. And the reason why hopefully this is relevant for all of us here is um, the take I get from talking to some of us and just observing is that we tend to put God in certain boxes or maybe spiritual life. So when we talk about what it means to spiritually walk, we've got certain areas. So, you know, Sunday, like 10 a.m., that's my spiritual time. Or, you know, I got this Bible study, this community group I go to. That's when I do spiritual stuff. Or in the mornings, yo, I got certain rhythms when I first wake up. And it's only for a few minutes, but that's when I pray, get my heart centered. That's a spiritual time for me. But what we're trying to help you to cultivate more and more in your whole journey, that's all God's. It's all spiritual. It all belongs to him. So even those areas that you might not necessarily think are of God, like your prosperity, success, endeavors, even that is meant to be under God's reign. So as we think about that, let's pray and ask the Lord's leading in this time. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for what you're doing. And I pray for my friends here. I don't know where every single one of us is, but I pray wherever we are, you would do that just God thing where you can take one small little word And you can speak in the way that we need to hear from you, individually as well as corporately. So, Holy Spirit, would you please do that here in this place today and draw us closer to you. Remind us of who you are and that you're with us. So, guide us in the scriptures and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, as we start in the beginning, as Greg read from verse 25, we look at this idea that, uh, and last week you looked at, Jacob had, he had like a reality show kind of journey last week, right? Like uh, sister wives and baby mamas and a lot of different kids. And, you know, he knew where every kid was from. So I guess that part was straight, but it's kind of chaotic, kind of crazy. So we come to the end of that. And now he's got Joseph 
from his wife, Rachel. And he said to Laban, send me away now. So he's been working off his debt for 14 years to this man, Laban, his wife's father. He's saying, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Jacob, he's ready to move on. 14 years is a long time to work. He's even ready to leave empty-handed except for his family. He's like, yo, I don't need anything else from you, but give me my family and let us go from here now. Uh, It it might be helpful to ask, why does he want to leave now? Part of it, if if you were in Jacob's shoes, is probably like, yo, this cat Laban's crazy. He's a shyster. He's always trying to get one over me. Why wouldn't I want to get out of his? I want to get my family out of here. This is a toxic situation. This is a dysfunctional family. I do not want to raise my family here. This man Laban is horrible, even though he's blood. So maybe there's some of that. He wants to get his family away from there. But I think there's something deeper here if that's all we see. Because we also know that Jacob has had this promise that God has given him for many years now that he would be prospered, that he would be a people, he would be a a place, he would be a land, he would be material possessions. So for Jacob, part of his desire to go back home is not just that he misses home, but it's actually wanting to live out the promises God has given him. You are going to have a place. You are going to multiply and take this land. So go. And, and I think just a side note for us here, um, part, of, part of my hope for you is you start to think a little big picture on your life and don't just go day to day without thinking of the future. But what's some of the vision God has given you? So when it comes to making choices and decisions, not thinking about just getting up as well, I guess I'll just take care of this day. Yes, in some sense, we got to live obediently each day. But I, part of my hope for our church is that we wouldn't just respond to situations in our life, but rather we would know the conviction of God's promises, where he has told us he wants us to go. What's God's larger vision on your life? And then today, what are you going to do to put in place to move you in that direction so that like Jacob, you're being led by a vision. And we move on here. So um, Laban says to him, verse 27, if I have found favor in sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So Laban's not a fool. He does not want to lose Jacob. He, he knows he's prospered while uh, our man Jacob has been there. And when it says, um, I have learned by divination, I'm not sure exactly what that means. It could be that he did some spells or some kind of things to find out. Most likely, he's just simply recognizing, yo, God has blessed me because of Jacob. Before Jacob was here, not doing so well. Now that Jacob's been here, doing real well. Maybe he calls that divination. Maybe it's simple recognition. But just um, a practical aspect for us here. A question to ask yourself is, are the people around me blessed because of my life? Because we see for Jacob, throughout his whole life, and this has been from Abraham and Isaac, all of his descendants down to him, one of the constant promises God has given is, yo, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in many different ways, but you need to know it's always so that others will be blessed through you. Peoples will be blessed by being in contact with you. The converse is, they will also be cursed if you curse them. So Jacob is just living out. God's will in his life. This man Laban, even as shady as he's been, he has been blessed because of his interaction with Jacob. So for me, I like to have different questions in my life that kind of help me do inventory. One of my questions I ask myself, are the people around me becoming more blessed when they interact with me? 
if the question, if the answer is negative, that's some time for me to get right with God. But my hope is that any person I would encounter, whether it's a person in our church or even a neighbor, any person that I encounter in my life because of who I am in Christ, they would also receive the benefit of that. And maybe that's a good question for you to ask yourself as well. Are people blessed because of my life? Are people that I work with, do they experience an aspect of God that they might not without me? Are my neighbors, is my neighborhood a better place to live in because me and my family live there? Are people being blessed because of my life? So Laban, he knows he's blessed. He recognizes he's been blessed and he offers Jacob a deal then. He says, yo, name your wages and I will give it. And he sounds real magnanimous. They're real generous. He's going to lowball Jacob. Jacob knows that too, right? Say, name your wages. And he's already thinking down here. But here's Jacob's answer. You said, you yourself know how I've served you. This is verse 29. And how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came. It has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? So Jacob answers. And this was his uh, retort saying, yeah, your offer not going to be enough. <laughs> I- I'm ready to go. And he just acknowledges what he and Laban and all of them know, that Laban has experienced blessing because of Jacob. And I think there's some side lessons we can learn here about work. And probably we should even talk more about work. Uh, if, if, if any of you are in this place, whether you're a student or you're employed in some kind of vocation, um, sometimes, again, where we boil spiritual life down is we like relegate spiritual life to these few hours when the place that most of you spend majority of your time is your workplace. Well, some of you sleep a lot, so maybe you sleep more than you work. But a lot of it, you, the place where you spend the majority of time, even more than like your family, even more than church, is your workplace, your studies. And, and we see that the gospel, following God, has a lot of implications for how we work. And we see that in our boy Jacob here. Jacob, one thing he can say is that he has worked hard. It's definitely been God's blessings, but Jacob has worked hard. But you know what? Jacob had no reason to work hard for this man Laban because this man Laban did him bad. Laban treated him horribly. Laban, remember a few sermons back? You know, he tried to get over on the boy Jacob. He tried to fool him with like sister wives and all that weird stuff, trying to get more years of work out of him. Jacob, if I were Jacob, and probably good, I'm not Jacob, right? But if I were Jacob, I'd be like, yo, this fool trying to get more work out of me? Yo, I'm going to give him as little as I possibly can because that's what he deserves. He tried to harm me, but we see as far as we can tell, Jacob gave everything he had in his work. I think it's a great example for us here that the reason why we work, and maybe for some of you, you think about where you work and you absolutely hate it. Some of you are in your dream job. Some of you are in your nightmare job. You're like, yo, I would rather work anywhere else if I could. I would take any job. I'll even take a pay cut. I don't like where I am. But ultimately, what the gospel says, the reason that we work hard is not because we just even enjoy our work. It's because we ultimately work for God. It's not even because we like our boss. We might despise our boss, but ultimately the reason that we work hard is because we're working for God. And maybe that's a challenge for some of us to have a hard time viewing our workplace as a ministry. What does it look like for you to just simply have integrity and say, God, I know I'm working for the man, but I'm ultimately working for you. What does it look like for me to have an attitude to give all I have towards that? So that's one lesson by work. I think a second one is um, we credit God for any success that we receive from our work. 
That's what Jacob does here, right? Jacob say, yeah, Laban, you have prospered. Yeah, look how well we're doing. Whoa, I am a shepherd among shepherds. I'm a man. Yo, Laban, you are so blessed to have me in your presence here. Set my wages. Yo, we're going up here. But, but Jacob, we see here, he very clearly says the Lord is the one who has blessed. It's a great reminder for us, especially if we get carried away with ourselves at times and, and it can lead to pride or arrogance. We work hard and we should work hard, but ultimately we realize the Lord is the one who blesses and we give acknowledgement to that. And if you receive any kind of success in your work, you're killing it. But recognize the Lord is killing it through you and you give praise to him. So Jacob and Laban, they're going back and forth. So Laban's like, oh, man, I'm going to haggle with this dude. All right, let's get into it. So what shall I give to you? Verse 31. And Jacob, he gets in this weird scenario where he offers this, this scenario that, um, here's my counteroffer, Laban. Yo, I'm going to take all of the speckled, the spotted sheep, goats, like all of it. And, and Laban, as he's hearing this, he's like, is this guy, is he, what's wrong with this guy? I thought Jacob was shrewd. I thought this boy was smart. Yo, my daughter's married an idiot. Because what Jacob was saying is, I'm going to take all the defects. I'm going to take all of uh, kind of the ones that are not that valuable. Because sheep tended to be white. He's saying, yo, I'm going to take the non-white ones. Um, Multicolored animals were not, so goats would be either black or brown. He's saying, yo, I'm going to take the spot. I'm going to take the ones that are not like normal. And those are mine. And you can have all the good ones. That's Jacob's counterproposal. He, he, in a way, is being very humble and, and giving up to Laban. He's not trying to get over on him. So we see Laban's answer, which makes a lot of sense in verse 44. He says, good. Before, you know, he wants him to sign it, right, so that they have documentation. Yo, you, you sure what you're saying? Give me, give me proof. Let it be as you have said. And you, you heard how Jacob said, yeah, I'll be the one that takes those animals out for you, and I'll set them aside. Uh, Laban doesn't trust him, so that very day, Laban, he went, he took them out, he separated the non-solid colored animals, he put them aside. He still don't trust his boy Jacob, so he's like, my sons will make sure we take care of this. They're going to watch this whole deal go down, plus we're going to put three days' journey between. Laban is that cat where you don't want to run into if you're going into the dealer to buy a new car. He's going to try to sneak in like um, little reflector plates and he's going to try to put in like car air fresheners at like a special cost. And, and then you're going to be signing your thing. You're thinking you're buying your car for one and suddenly you paid $5,000 more. Like, Where'd that come from? Laban's that guy. Um, and he does everything within his power because he's shrewd to make sure Jacob's not going to do well. Oh, Jacob, you're going to take all the spotted and, and striped, and you're going to take all, okay, let, let's do that then. And because he believes that the only way Jacob can prosper with that kind of scenario is if he's cheating. That's what Laban's thinking. Yo, this fool is not that much of a fool. He must have some kind of plan in place. He's going to try to steal these animals when I'm not looking. So he does everything within his power to make sure Jacob can't do that. So Laban, in one sense, he truly seems to believe and understand that he's blessed because of Jacob. But he doesn't understand that part that Jacob mentioned, that the Lord is the source of the blessing. He still thinks it's Jacob somehow doing something. He doesn't get that part where Jacob said, no, it's the Lord. 
Then we get to the part in verse 37. I want to read that again just because it was, it's a peculiar story. Yo, if you're new to the Bible, it's like, it's some interesting stuff. So here's what Jacob does in response. Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks into troughs. That is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. So if you get this picture, Jacob's like, okay, I got an idea. And he gets some trees and sticks. And he just like starts doing some artwork, right? He's making crafts. He's probably got a real nice looking sticks, right? That are all striped. And he's genius. He's like, yo, this is going to be brilliant. So they come to water. He sticks it in the water in front of them. He's like, yeah, they're going to drink. And these sticks that are striped. And this is his plan. Because this is where they bred when they came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the sticks. And the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob's got a plan. And it's happening. Um. And, and, you know, for some of us who think that, man, what was wrong with primitive peoples? Why are they so superstitious? Yo, I know Ravens fans who have the Ravens win and they're wearing a certain shirt and they will not change that shirt until they lose. I had a football teammate in high school who, when we won, he thought about it was the particular socks he was wearing. And he vowed that he would not change those socks and wouldn't wash them until we lost. Football was not fun that year. So we should be careful about like looking at them and saying, what fools, you know, superstitious, like ancient peoples. We are like that as well. Think about where we sit. You know, we have certain seating places we think are better. You know, we all have those things. But I think it also helps to understand culturally the belief at that time was that if there was a vivid sight, if there was some kind of like very like vivid, um, extravagant sight during pregnancy or conception, it would leave the mark on the embryo of the animal. Like somehow if animals engaged in their business, like saw this like vivid kind of image, that would somehow form their embryo. So that's, Jake was probably just going according to the culture of his time. So this is a peculiar story. And I didn't do this because I'm, I'm not that ignorant. But imagine like I read this, I'm doing prep for this sermon. And I like look up on the web to find a shepherd. Because I want to, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not real good with animals. I like them on the finishing end, right? But um, imagine I call up a shepherd. I don't know anything about shepherds. I don't know anything about animals, right? So I'm like, yo, I'm reading in the Bible the story about how you do the whole mating thing and how you can produce certain animals that look different genetically. Yo, I saw, I read the story of where Jacob peeled these sticks and put them in front of the water when the animals were mating, and somehow he got striped and spotted animals. Can you explain to me how that works? I'm the reason why I didn't do that is I don't want someone thinking I'm crank calling them, thinking I'm some kind of fool, thinking I'm some kind of um, idiot. Like, what? Seriously? This is what you believe? I, I think we have to understand here, this is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. Because the point is not that Jacob's schemes led to his prosperity. That's not the point here. The point, the application for you not to go out if you got two little doggies and you want some like different color, like put some sticks in front of their watering bowl and with their, with their kibble and stuff. And ho- That's not the application point of this story here. The point was not how clever Jacob was that led to his prosperity. The story is actually highlighting the blessing of God that much more. It's that much more starkly putting into 
deep focus. Look at what God is doing. God is even using this ridiculous effort of this dude, Jacob, to bring his prosperity. This was a miraculous work of God to prosper Jacob in accordance to his promises. And we see that God has blessed Jacob with extraordinary wealth. Look at the last verse in 43. Not only did Jacob accumulate these large numbers of flocks and servants, he got camels. And for you and I, you're thinking, I thought everyone back then had camels, right? Every Disney movie I've seen about the Bible, they all got camels. But that's actually not really fully true. Because at this time, camels were not domesticated. So not everyone had a camel. You got these other, you didn't have a camel. If you had a camel, that was kind of like that dude in your neighborhood that got like five Mercedes in their parking in their parking. Pad, like you are really wealthy. So the fact that he has camels, God has blessed him and prospered him. The point is, God has prospered Jacob in an extraordinary way, even more than he had asked for, even more than he was imagining. Again, the idea so that he could be blessed to be a blessing. And I think it's a good reminder for us here. Um, we church people get really weird when it comes to money. Like we've somehow elevated this idea that it's, it's um, more holy to be poor. In some sense, the Bible does say, blessed are the poor. I think we can't be beyond, beyond that. But we can't just take one verse and make the whole idea about that. Um, having money, working hard, accumulating is not bad at all. But the big point is, what are you doing with that? So I'll tell you very honestly, I pray for God to give me more and more. You're like, yo, he's one of those kinds of pastors. Is he going to start asking for us for like a special offerings to pay off his jet? Or No, I ask God for more and more very, very honestly so I can support my family. But really, I ask him, give me so much that I have more to give God. God, bless me. Give me more so that I can be even more generous, so I can have more to share. And I think that's a biblical understanding of material wealth and success. God, give me so that I can be a blessing. But here's the thing. God is not only prospering Jacob materially. He's also blessing him in his very being. He's blessing Jacob in his very soul. And we're not going to look at it today because what's coming up, if we would look in chapter 31, um, we seem to, it seems to be that Jacob is aware of what Laban's doing here. It's not that Laban has done all this stuff and it's beyond Jacob's. God actually seems to have told Jacob, yo, I see what Laban is doing. I saw how Laban was trying to cheat you. Imagine then if Jacob knew that information and picture him when he was back early Jacob, how he would have responded. Because early Jacob was a schemer. He was a shyster. He was shady. He was a deceiver. He was always looking for the score, even at the expense of anyone else. Even at the expense of his flesh and blood, he was willing to do whatever he could so he could get over. That's early Jacob. And I'm imagining how he would respond to knowing Laban had tried to cheat him. Going in the middle of the night, like sneaking animals in and out and doing whatever. But look at Jacob now. Now, Jacob, because of what he's walked with with God and how God is prospering him in his soul, he's learning to be faithful even when unfaithful people are around him. Why? Because he knows God is with him. He's learning that God will prosper him even when there are those who actively seek his harm like Laban did. 
that Jacob now, he's freed. He can do his best with all the integrity in the world. He can be true to his word. He made a deal with Laban. He can live up to that. Even when humanly, he probably had every right to respond to Laban's shadiness with his own scheming. He could live with integrity. So when we talk about Jacob's journey of wholeness, it's learning to trust God. I mean, I don't want to boil down the whole series, but really that's what it's about. Jacob's journey of wholeness is learning how to trust God even when he's faced with unfavorable people and unfavorable circumstances. And let's not, let's not miss sight of it. Part of his wholeness, it involves his material prosperity. But guys, it's not just material wealth. He is becoming rich in his soul. And he's becoming rich in his soul, the kind of wealth that cannot be taken away by another person. So I've used this illustration before in our church to describe kind of a, kind of a way to gauge ourselves. But we talk about a thermometer versus a thermostat. And you probably, some of you have heard me talk about this, right? When you've got a thermometer, what does a thermometer do? It reflects the temperature in the room. Right now in this room, the thermometer will be going up little by little. You're not imagining it, right? It'd be going up little by little. Because what a thermometer does, it just exists to reflect what's going on around it. A thermostat, on the other hand, what does a thermostat do? It changes the temperature of the room. You set a thermostat in different ways. If it's cold, you set that thermostat up a little to raise the temperature and vice versa. Um, one good question to ask ourselves and another one of the questions I ask me, am I being a thermometer in my life or am I being a thermostat? Am I being a thermometer meaning do I go back and forth depending on what's happening around me? Do the people in my life, whether they're doing good or bad, is that what raises and, and lowers my spiritual temperature? Am I um, subject to the whims and the waves of the world? Um, am, am, is my spirit dependent on what Facebook tells me that morning going on and around the world? Um, not that we shouldn't respond to those things. We should. But is my ultimately my spiritual health dependent on what's going on around me? Is my spiritual uh, maturity dependent on whether it's Sunday and I get to go to church that day? Is my spiritual temperature really go down when it's time to go to work? And I'm not around very spiritually minded people. Am I a thermostat? Or can I be a thermostat where I'm able to try to influence those I'm around? That when I'm in a room, things will change. Not because I'm great, but because God is with me. And I'm not going back and forth. But I'm going to seek to influence and make a difference and be a blessing wherever I am. And maybe if you're here, you can ask yourself, am I I more of a thermometer spiritually or am I a thermostat? Do I reflect kind of what's going around me or am I part of God helping to set the temperature of a place? And I think the natural question is to ask yourself, if you see yourself maybe more of a thermometer, how do I become a thermostat then? How can I be more of like a thermostat? There's a lot of things, but I would say this one. When you are secure in the one who calls you his own. One non-negotiable thermostat is those who learn more and more who has called me to be his son and daughter. Who is my God? Who do I know my identity firmly rests in, that I'm secure? It doesn't matter what people do around me. I know who I am in Christ. That tends to lead us to become more of that constant thermostat affecting where we're at. Because when we think about Jacob, it's, it's interesting how his prosperity came, right? 
um, where he used to be the guy that was very much affected by those around him, he started to understand God's blessings in his life. He started to know more and more who he is in God. He's talking about God all the time. You notice how when he's talking with Laban, he's talking about God's blessings. He firmly recognizes now. Part of his wholeness is not just material gain. That's a part of it. But he's becoming more and more closer to God. God is showing him more and more, who are you, Jacob, in me? What is your vision? What's your path? And I think it even reflects in Jacob's choices now. So it's interesting when we get to this whole story here of how he got this large flock. It was through that weird thing with the sticks and the spotted and the striped. But Jacob's prosperity, think about it. It ultimately came through choosing the speckled and the spotted among the herd. He didn't have to try to weasel his way out of it. He actually could live with full integrity. He chose the animals, the ones that no one else wanted, the ones that Laban and every other good shepherd in their mind would say, yeah, you can have them. Don't let them affect the rest of my flock. Let's keep it nice and pure and whole. Jacob's like, yo, they're mine. They're mine. They're the ones that I'm going to build my family off of there. Give me those. Give me the striped ones. Give me the speckled ones. Give me the off-color ones. They're mine. And we don't have it described here, so we got to be careful not to extrapolate too much. But I'd like to believe for Jacob, some of that's not just trying to be shrewd, but maybe he reflects on his own journey like we all tend to do. And he starts to think about his own journey, and, and I don't think it'd be a stretch for him to come to a greater realization more and more, yo, God is blessing me like crazy. But more and more he's realizing it's not because of who he is. But it's because of God's grace alone. In fact, when Jacob has been a screw-up, when he's been a clown, when he's been a deceiver, when he's been duplicitous, when Jacob has not done what he's supposed to do, when he's harming actively and inactively other people, in those moments, he has seen the continual hand of God upon his life with him through ups and downs. And as we think about Jacob choosing the off-color animals, the striped ones, the spotted ones, maybe he imagined God choosing him when he was not that perfect son. Choosing Jacob when all of us can recognize by now, we're like six sermons in, yo, this guy doesn't have it together. God chose him, you're going to be one of my patriarchs. My line is going to come through you, Jacob, even as you've messed it up. And I think you guys see where we're going. Consider the great love Christ has for his sheep. Consider the great love Christ has for us. Because maybe you and I, and maybe some of you are pristine. You're like, I should be up there preaching. If that's you, talk to me. But if you're like me, maybe even this past week, you have like vivid memories of all the ways you've fallen short this week. All the ways spiritually where you're kind of striped and spotted and off color from where you think you should be. All the ways that maybe you've fallen short as a parent and lost your temper this week. All the ways that maybe you told things that you wouldn't fully call them lies, but kind of in a way to try to make yourself look a little better than you really feel about yourself. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's memories that are painful sitting in a place like this where you've sat in issues of lust and impurities for all different kinds of reasons. Whatever it might be for you, maybe it's seeing just aspects of jealousy and envy, part of the reason you hate coming to places like church and others, you can't help but compare yourself to other people and say, why isn't my life like theirs? 
Whatever it might be for us, if you're like me, all you see are the striped. And all you see are the spotted. And all you see are the off color. But then you see a Savior says, that says, who wants them? I want them. I'm going to choose them. They're going to be my family. They're going to be the ones that we build this whole kingdom through. Not the perfect ones. Not the holy molies. Not the ones who think they're all righteous. But the ones who actually recognize they're broken. And off color. And don't have it together. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, that's the good news of our Savior. That's always the way that God has done it. God has chosen us in our brokenness. God has chosen us in our weakness. God has even chosen us in our sin. Not that we would stay there, but that we would find healing and forgiveness in the work that only Jesus can do. I want to invite you today. Receive that good news. Say, I want to know this Jesus as well who would give up his life. Because he chose broken, striped, spotted, off color. But he chose it at a great cost to himself. He chose, but he gave himself to be sacrificed in love. In deep love. And that's ultimately why we do what we do. And it's a reminder for us as we talk about prosperity. I want to be crystal clear just in case there's any ambiguity in this room. Sometimes in the church, we talk about being blessed and being prosperous because we look at the good job we have. We look at the ways our families are growing in in certain wholeness. We look at the house we live in. We look at financial security. We look at health that's fairly good. And I want to affirm to you, all those are good. All those are good. All those are worth giving praise and thanks to God for saying, Lord, we know you are the giver of good gifts. Thank you. But prosperity in the gospel is also when you have absolutely none of those things. When you are in the midst of your deepest pit, when you've got nothing to hold your hat to, when your life looks like nothing that this world would admire at all in their standards, you can say, I am so prosperous because I know that I am known by the God of this universe. And my life was paid for at a great cost and price because there's a God who loves me. So let me ask you to stand with me right now. And I'm going to invite you to do this. If you're a Christian, I'm going to invite you to come up and you can receive the Lord's Supper. Take a piece of the bread, being reminded of the broken body of Jesus. And come up both aisles and dip it in the cup right up here. And be remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to be cleansed in our brokenness, in our sin. If you're not a Christian, I would invite you. Talk to someone maybe. Or maybe you can come up here if you want to say today, I want to know this Jesus as well in that way. I want to have my life cleansed. I want to believe that there is someone who loves me that much, that radically. And if it's this God, I want that to be my life. But what I would ask you to do is before you come up here, just take an inventory of your life right now and ask yourself, do I feel prosperous? Not that we go by our feelings, but sometimes I think, especially those who are, of us who are Christians, Sometimes we don't fully recognize what we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, the riches that we have been given in Christ, not necessarily riches that this world might always call riches. That's part of it. But if you are a child of God, saved by the sacrifice of Jesus, you are the most person to be envied in this world. You have everything that is considered valuable. And I want to invite you to consider that as you come up and receive this communion and remember the great love that has been showed to you through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your good word. 
We thank you that you would remind us, even in this place today, God, maybe some of us are coming in, we don't feel very prosperous. And we know, we, we know we're a Christian. We know we're known by you. But we just don't sense that we have any kind of goodness in our life. Would you remind us that this good news is not contingent upon us making it good, but it's what you have done. Bring us back to this good news of the gospel. That prosperity, it's, a, it's, it's fully different than even what this world would say. That if we are in you and we might have nothing in this world, but we truly have everything. But Lord, I also pray, conversely, for some of us here, maybe in this world's eyes, we have much to um, be proud of. We are killing it. We are doing well. But Lord, would you allow your spirit to check some of our hearts here if we know you or not? And if we don't know you, Lord, there will be a humble, honest assessment to say maybe we have everything in this world, but if we don't have you, we have truly nothing. And lead us to good news, life in you. So we thank you, God, you're on this journey with us. You don't let us go. Help us as we pray, sing, receive the Lord's Supper, that we would learn more and more what your presence in our life means.